0: Thanks for joining us today on the Chicago Murderland Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Northside
1: Katie. And I'm Southwestside Jen. We chill and thrill you with tales of murder in the windy city of Chicago and Chicago's Outer Limits. Yes, folks, it will be creepy, disturbing, gritty, sometimes gory, and always interesting. Always. Chicago is
0: a city of neighborhoods and immigrants, of great wealth and bitter poverty. Chicago is also a city of industry, transportation, architecture, culture, and high finance. And you know what else? Deep dish pizza, too, which strangely is not one of our faves. Get out! <laughs> Just get it away from me. Just too much cheese. Both of us are lifelong or almost lifelong Chicagoans, and between the two of us, we want to share our amazing city with you.
1: Of course, that means Chicago's murderous and dark side. We all know about killers like John Wayne Gacy and Richard Speck, but we want to tell you the fascinating and tragic stories of murder in Chicago that aren't as well known. You'll get to know the murder victims and the neighborhoods where they lived and where they were murdered. We walked the streets and sidewalks, the victims and their killers walked. The city we love. The city of big shoulders.
2: This is...
1: Chicago Murderland Una noche de
2: verano so en la tierra del dólar fue lo que todo Chicago vio
1: Déjenme explicarles que cuando el señor Capone de la ciudad soñó
2: Son now if you're quite ready
3: let us begin
0: What's up, bitches? You really want to know?
1: Yes. My blood pressure. Have you had it checked? Check, check.
0: Yeah. it's. it's I've had it checked. What it's, is it? It's up. Well, how
1: up? I don't want to talk about that. Oh, well, you brought it up. No, you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did you actually just put Hershey bar crumbs in your coffee? I did.
0: I saw you do that. I was hoping you didn't, but so I didn't want to waste the last little <laughs> slivers of the Hershey bar that Katie shared with me pre-recording. Yeah. Sustenance. Um, so good to see you. And I wanted to give you a little bit of news. Okay. For us Bears fan fans, today is... Opening day of the 2023 Chicago Bears football season. Bear down, Chicago Bears. Uh, That's the only part I know. To victory. That's all I know, too. Um, All I know is pride and joy of Illinois, bear down, Chicago Bears. So did you know, now I'm still in a good mood about this because they haven't yet been beaten by the Green Bay Packers, who they are facing tonight. Did you know that they are one of the
1: legacy teams of the NFL? What does that mean? That means they're one of the original teams of the uh,
0: National Football League. I, I,
1: is it snowing yet? I mean, that's when I want to watch football.
0: Uh, give it a minute. It's Chicago. They do like
1: the weather. Wait five minutes. Their uniforms get really shiny and wet and slick and tighter. It's kind of fun to watch them then. But other than hmm. that, I'm not Sounds down.
0: kind of something you shouldn't share other with everybody. Other than that, I'm but, not
1: bearing down with the Bears. So... Well, just in
0: case our listeners might be interested in the history of our beloved Bears, they actually started out in the 20s down in Decatur, Illinois, as the Decatur Staley's. The what? Staley's? Yeah. Staley's? Because the guy who was the original, original in 1920, who wanted to start the team, was a guy named A.E. Staley, who owned the A.E. Staley Company. He was the general superintendent, and he wanted to form a football team, or he did form a football team. And he asked somebody named George Hallis if he would like to come to Decatur and work for the Staley Company and coach their team. How do you spell Staley? S-T-A-L-E-Y. And guess what? Yes. The, The mascot of the Chicago Bears, his name is Staley.
1: And that's why. I had no idea. I'm certain there's going to be at least one or at least a part of one, a fraction of one Bears fan that's going to be listening to this. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry if I'm insulting you. Staley is a terrible name for a mascot. Staley? A bear named Staley? I know. Shouldn't it be like a cigarette butt running around? (laughs) Staley, come over here. Yeah, Let me stomp you. (laughs) By 1921, the team became the Chicago Staley's, playing at Wrigley Field
0: and won the first national championship ever when the NFL was called the American Professional
1: Football League.
0: That's Chicago. Staley. It, it's, a, it's a city of contradiction. And it's, it's kind of a play on daily,
1: you know, Staley.
0: I know you. You want you like a big scary bear to be called like what Brutus or yeah. You and know, you see cocaine bear that? yet? By the way, no.
1: Oh, dude, go see it. Okay,
0: it's
1: based on a true story. Wow. I'm just trying to change the subject. If you can't tell, but I know that the bears are important to you. Mm-hmm. At least Very. I think that I know. Jen likely makes really good bears game snacks. That would be my guess because she's an excellent cook.
0: Yeah, it's called put popcorn in a bowl. No, I do make excellent. I, 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 I can,
1: I can throw down. I bet you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I won't mention dairy again because that was last episode and that was problematic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no dairy. Okay. Yeah. No dairy of any well, kind. I want to say the following. This has been quite an adventure making this podcast so far. It's really freaking exciting to me. You know,
0: and thank you for listening. We've just launched, and we've gotten so much great feedback. And thank you guys for your enthusiasm and your likes and your rates and reviews. And keep
1: listening and spreading the word about Chicago Murderland Podcast. Yes, the Chicago Murderland Podcast. Con- yes, the Chicago Murderland Podcast. And by the by, there is another podcast out there <coughs> that actually decided to call itself the Murderland. Murderland Chicago, I think. Oh, Yes. I'll, you'll never hear those words. Murderland okay. Chicago. Yeah. I was like, you know, because here's the thing. I had the brainchild baby way before the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. You own this baby. I did. But I want to say to those podcasters, I think... And here's another weird thing. I don't know if this will make it to the air, but in case it does, when I looked and I listened to the the episodes of um actually kind of good of the other podcast that stole our name. Um <laughs> They did. Um they, uh-huh. uh, the woman's name is Meredith. And I was like, Are you kidding me? Meredith? Whoa. Because Meredith is That's my pal. Right. And like Meredith made our artwork, but it's not the same Meredith. So, Meredith, that made our artwork, you're amazing. You get a pass. Had it been you and you started a podcast with our name, I know where you live. (laughs) I know the change of address. Anyway, um, but the other podcast I listened to, it was great. So I'm going to give them a plug because I'm just going to. It's a nice thing to do. They are the... Help me, Jen. (laughs) I'm fucking it up already. They are the... Murderland Chicago, a deep dish of death, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they focus on serial killers. Yeah. And they do, um, they do pretty, it's pretty good actually. All right. I will admit, I have listened to your podcast, guys, and it's pretty good. Yeah. We like it, but we have different content in terms of, um, what we focus on here, which is less known. I'm not doing Marlene again. Sorry, sorry. Don't do. Yeah, I, I felt Marlene. I'm sorry. Go home. I'm sorry. I, please. So, stop. I can do too- very good. You realize that when I was a child, I I couldn't use my tongue. Oh, I didn't know that. You didn't know that. I wasn't around when you were a child. So i I had the I had an extremely short frenulum. Well, that's a terrible thing to have. They wanted to cut it because <laughs> I know, because I thought like this a lot, it was like this. And I'm not making fun of people who have a speech impediment because, folks, I have one. It's just been worked on for a long time. Wow. I would yeah. never know. So if I take my tongue and I go like this, this it sounds is a lot like what I sounded like when I was little, wow. little. Right. That's wow. why I can do that voice.
0: And you're like, your voice is beautiful and clear and and
1: perfect now. Thank you. Sometimes I lisp. You, you talk real good. Lisp. But I'm not making fun of anybody except myself, so.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm hearing your frenulum slapping against your gingival tissue.
1: <laughs> Do you even know what that is? Uh, I'm a frenulum. Could you frenulum me on Facebook? <laughs>
0: I'm hearing your parotid gland being activated. Your uvula babs. (laughs) Your uvula swinging in the breeze. (laughs)
1: Please. Please put a jock on that uvula. (laughs) (laughs) Put a jock on your uvula babs. (laughs) Insane in the brain. All right. Yeah, so let's let's get on with the showgram. I'm with the showgram. I'm with the show, Graham. We are here to be storytellers,
0: not experts, and even though one of us is a mental health professional and the other one is nuts. That's a clinical term. We are just expressing our own opinions on this podcast. It may not be suitable for younger or more sensitive
1: listeners. We got some swears a lot
0: Chicago is a city of neighborhoods and today we're going out to beautiful Pallas Park Illinois Rock and roll, So you get on 55 right by Soldiers Field, not Soldiers, Soldier Field, and you just drive all the way out to LaGrange Road, past Corn Products, past the Sludge Pits, past Midway Airport, past all of that, past the Desplaines River, which is quite a large river out there. And then you go south, past Willow Springs, past Hickory Hills, past Palos Hills, and guess where you land? Palos Park. Palos Park is nestled in the southwest suburbs of Chicago. It's a quaint little suburban village, current population around 4,800. It's located only about ninety miles southwest of the loop, in quotes, what we call our famous downtown. And Palos Park is made up of thickly forested hills and gorges, ponds, creeks, meadows, and wildlife. It sets this village apart from other communities and had a reputation in the past as an artist retreat and summer getaway for wealthy and nature-loving Chicagoans since the late 1800s. Amazing natural beauty and unique geological features are the hallmarks of Palos Park. The quiet village is surrounded. By hundreds of acres of Cook County Forest Preserve, including an extensive trail system winding through rolling hills and deep ravines and providing beautiful views of the surrounding landscapes. You may ask yourself, why isn't Pillars Park flat like the rest of Chicagoland? That's because it's a moraine. A moraine is an area where an ancient glacier moved through about only a billion years or so ago. As the glacier moves, it collects soil and debris rocks and boulders, that sometimes tend to build up in a certain area. Then the glacier melts, but the giant hills created by all that debris remain. So that adds all up to just incredible natural beauty. Sweeping meadows, trees, galore, hills, and people looking for a Chicago suburb with a distinct small-town feel. The longtime mayor of Palos Park, Rosemary Captor, said, It is a serene, almost entirely residential oasis in the middle of the burgeoning southwest suburbs of Chicago. Children play unattended. Residents regularly wave to each other as they drive down the streets, regardless if they know each other or not. People ride their horses down the quiet streets or the many forest preserve trails. And the history of Quiet Little Palos Park is as interesting as its geology and its character. So the name Palos is a Spanish word meaning big trees, or Little Sticks, depending on who you talk to. Weird. I know. Some say it's named after a ship of Christopher Columbus that didn't actually make it all the way across the pond. The first residents, of course, were the indigenous peoples of the area, including the Potawatomi, Kickapoo, Kaskaskia, and other tribes. I like saying Kickapoo. <laughs> there was a Kickapoo trail in unincorporated Pillas Park. Kickapoo. In 1673... Père Jacques Marquette, a missionary, and Louis Joliet were the first European imperialist explorers to pass through the area. Traders meandered through the palest region over the next 150 years. They often hid French and Spanish coins in tree hollows where they were discovered years later by residents. Back in the 1840s, where so many Northern Irish settled there, the first post office was briefly named Orange,
1: as in Protestant Orange. <laughs> What? Get out. William Orange. Clouded without the crown. Take away the crown! Yeah, we're, we're both reacting to that one a little bit. Now, Orange.
3: So far, you have been living, no Society called mm-hmm. you a nuisance. I'd call you an abomination.
2: Yeah, and I'd call you clown face. <laughs> what? You look like somebody smeared mashed potatoes on a mime. <laughs> That's enough! You're kind of emo, aren't you? No! i not emo. You're an emo clown.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, listen. Ugh. Very slowly, the little village formed with an old map that Katie found, showing one road, which was probably LaGrange Road, on the west end of the village. The first railroad, known as the Wabash, came through in 1883 along the route of the present Southwest Highway and connected the area to Chicago. In the 1890s, Palas Park became known as a country retreat, And would soon begin to garner the attention of artists from the area, such as Claude Buck, Felix Russman, sculptor Laredo Taft, and even author Sherwood Anderson, along with his young protege, Ernest Hemingway, retreated from Chicago to summer cottages in Palos Park, seeking the beautiful, serene setting for their work. Naturalists and bird watchers (laughs) flocked— They flocked. I did that on purpose. —to the area as the woods and waterways of Palos Park contained— a truly amazing array of wild birds. Delicious. The Audubon Society actually had several outposts out there. So the village of Palace Park incorporated in 1914, and that's when the forest preserves were formed by Cook County, attracting prairie club hikers on the weekends and outdoor enthusiasts to the trails and to the Swallow Cliff
1: toboggan slides. It's the early hippies, <laughs> granola munching, <laughs> long haired freaks. Sure. <laughs> the Calumet Sag Channel, also known as the
0: Cal Sag, a man-made waterway, was completed across the north side of the small community in
1: 1922. The Cal Sag, the Cal Sag. It's an old man named Cal. No, well, got some sag going on. I'm sorry. I oh, you know, I'm visual. Oh, I'm a, I'm a visual girl. Really, sorry. really going sorry. off the farm there. Okay.
0: <laughs> Even in the middle of the 20th century, the village population remained only in the hundreds. And there's a famous person that we want to talk about, Katie.
1: Yes. There's this gal. She's deceased now, but she was an amazing human being. The All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Remember a league of their own? The time I got to the league, they had really wised up, I'll tell you. We had the first miniskirts. We took out all of the extra material. We tightened it up and we lifted it up so it was right below the tight line. So you could completely spread your legs without any problem. Now, it's still a one-piece dress. The other thing is they want us to continue to keep it cinched in so it looked like we had a waistline, you know. You ever tried to catch and lift your arms and your dress tries to go up in the air? I mean, it's practically impossible. So I kept loose. We'd loosen everything. There was a pitcher named Mary Lou Studnicka. Also known as Mary Lou Caden. She was actually born in Chicago, but raised on a farm in Palos Park. She was a pitcher from 1951 to 1953
0: for the Grand Rapid Chicks. Yeah. Yeah. And they had their, yeah. those cute little uniforms just like they had in the movie. Yes. Oh, a little hard to slide to first base into those. Okay. So even Little Payless had its celebrities. Another celebrity, renowned Architect A.G. Lund, along with his draftsman and geologist daughter, Ethel Vera Lund, Love the name. and his younger daughter, Elsa and son, Harold, spent their summers in the early part of the 20th century on a sprawling property on a hill in Palos Park overlooking lovely Mill Creek. Elsa Lund later helped grow the cultural and artistic character of Palos Park as a founder of the Palos Park Historical Society in the 1950s.
1: Now... Why am I so interested in Palos Park and how do I know about the Lund family history? I'm not sure because I know Hemingway was famous and we talked about Mary Lou Stodnica being famous, but I've never heard of the Lunds. They sound interesting, but I have no idea why. The woodsy small town utopia
0: of Palace Park was where myself and my eight brothers and sisters grew up and where my parents grew old and eventually passed away. Every night I spent in that old house... Where Ethel and Elsa and Harold lived. Wow. I know. And the sounds of the woodlands in my ears.
1: Oh.
0: Our childhoods were spent running the woods, riding our bikes everywhere, going to the plush horse for a 26-cent children's ice cream cone, and jumping in piles of the fall leaves that we'd have to rake up as a family, considering that there were hundreds of trees on our five and a half acre property. Wow. Dad even made us a homemade ice skating rink behind the hundred year old garage with its beautiful slate roof. Our quarter mile long steep driveway, which we called the hill, was never a sure bet to get your car up during the winter. Countless hours of shoveling snow and salting was required to keep ourselves able to get to work and school. And the occasional leaving a car at the bottom of the hill. I wasn't one of those lucky Palos Park residents who found French and Spanish coins hidden in the trees. That would have been really cool. But I do feel I was incredibly lucky to have experienced childhood and family life in this wonderful place from 1965 until 2012. So we're going to tell you more about Palos Park in other episodes, and there is still a lot to tell. But if we haven't painted a picture of a beautiful and idyllic oasis of natural beauty and quiet country living, then we're telling it wrong. Palos Park feels like the simplest, quietest,
1: and possibly
0: the safest town in the world.
1: And it was a safe place for the Doyle family. That is, until the balmy night of July 3rd, 1993, Sheila's husband rolled over in bed in their lovely single-family home nestled on a tree-lined street in the Mill Creek subdivision an unincorporated section of Palos Park. He noticed his wife wasn't asleep beside him as she normally would have been after working the second shift as a licensed practical nurse. Rubbing his eyes, Bill put his feet to the floor and stood up, grabbing the robe across the bed and pulling it on. Sheila might be watching the CBS Late Movie or preparing snacks for the 4th of July festivities, but Sheila was nowhere to be found. Everything would change in that sleepy, woodsy village where nothing bad happened. A living nightmare began for Bill and the three children. Their beloved wife and mother Sheila would come to be discovered viciously and wantonly murdered by killers whose goal was to take a car park.
3: Bill Doyle said that his wife normally uh, returned from work about 11.30 p.m. and had not returned home yet. He sounded concerned. When they opened the trunk, they found Sheila Doyle's body face up with an apparent gunshot wound to the top of the head.
1: This is Episode 3, Why Sheila?
0: Kelly Doyle was born in 1952 in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. She was one of three children adopted through Catholic charities by the Kelly family on the far south side of Chicago. Her twin biological sister, Sharon, was adopted with her. A picture of the smiling and happy young family appeared in a local newspaper at the time of their adoption. She had a lovely upbringing in the industrial working class neighborhood of West Pullman in Chicago. Sheila eventually studied nursing while still raising her three children, and when Kristen, the youngest, started grade school, she began working at Little Company of Mary, a Catholic hospital in the south suburb of Evergreen Park. She married Bill in the 1970s, and they bought a lovely single-family home in quiet Palace Park.
1: Sheila, nodding a final good night at the nurse's station. She'd finished all of her paperwork and checked in with her patients, wishing them a wonderful weekend at the Alcohol and Drug Abuse Center at Little Company of Mary Hospital. She sure enjoyed the work that she did at the Chemical Dependency Treatment Program, which had just opened two years prior. Sheila was held in high regard by her colleagues at work. She had worked and attended school to acquire the nursing credentials needed to work in the treatment program. Sheila was tenacious and went after what she wanted in order to improve life for her family, which included her husband Bill and three children. After she got into her car, she headed down 95th Street and approached Southwest Highway, where she turned left. They were out of yellow mustard for the hot dogs Bill and Kevin would grill for the 4th of July holiday. She'd send Kelly out in the morning after breakfast to grab a jar and a couple of yellow onions. As the road passed the bright lights of a gas station, Sheila caught the strong odor of diesel fuel and looked to her right to see a couple of teens, or maybe they were young men. They were laughing and banging on the hood of their black Camry, the same kind of black Camry that Sheila drove. The same year as Sheila's, but a bit worse for the wear, Sheila thought, because her Camry was polished to a high sheen thanks to sweet bill he always made sure her car was spick and span spotless. Rather suddenly, Sheila felt goose flesh break out on her arms and the back of her neck. She had an odd sense of doom that came over her out of nowhere. She looked at her odometer. She was going the right speed. There was nothing out of place. As Sheila drove up into her driveway, she noticed lights behind her. She pressed the garage door opener and started to pull into when she heard footsteps approaching her. Get out. Get out of the car. Sheila did not know what to do. There were two men standing outside of her car ordering her. Sheila got out of the car. One of the young men grabbed her. Come over here. She saw a gun. Goose flesh rose on her arm. She tried to get back into the passenger seat and screamed. The young men told her to get into the trunk and she wouldn't be hurt. Sheila worried that her oldest daughter might be out on a date and would interrupt the robbery. They mentioned they would just take her purse. Sheila looked up and saw one of the boys look at the other. He nodded to him as if to say, go ahead, do it. He said, don't look at me, just give me the key. Without looking, Sheila reached up with the car key in her hand. Her final thought before the quick, startling bang of the report of the pistol was that she had dropped the key before it could be taken from her outstretched, open hand.
3: The victim had all her jewelry and everything still on her, gold chain, rings. And inside the front seat of the car, the victim's purse was in there. It appeared to be untouched.
0: Sheila was tragically murdered by a gunshot to her head. Her body was found locked in the trunk of her own car. The murder was shocking, dreadful, and inexplicable. Bill woke up around 12.30 a.m. and noticed that Sheila wasn't home yet. When he went to the garage and found her car parked, he was puzzled. When he found her purse and nursing bag on the seat of the car, he got scared. Teenage daughter Kelly woke up and was informed by Bill that her mother was missing. She immediately got in her car to drive around the neighborhood and try to find her. Bill then called 911, and Cook County police were soon on the scene. Once police opened the trunk of the car, this missing person's report turned instantly into a homicide investigation. Sheila's body was found in the trunk of her black 1987 Toyota Camry, her car keys, right beside her. A bloody handprint was found on the top of the trunk lid. Bill and the children were kept inside the house as the garage was now a crime scene. A single bullet casing was found near the garage wall. A fingerprint on the door handle and a bloody handprint on the trunk were the chilling evidence of what had taken place. The Cook County police informed Bill that they had found Sheila's body and that she had been murdered. Police actually questioning Bill as he was the first natural suspect in the case. Mm. And the pain of him telling his children when they woke up in the early morning.
1: The little girl was just eight.
0: (sighs) Third yeah. grade. The family was in shock and disbelief.
3: We related because we were looking for a break. Immediately, we went to the computer, ran his background, brought up his rap sheet. He had used a 380 during that case when he was arrested, which was the same caliber of weapon that was used in this murder. They ran Marcus prints. His print comes back. He's arrested.
0: Devastated Bill withstood questions, searches, and suspicion until a polygraph test found him truthful that he knew nothing about the murder. And the fingerprint on the door handle was not Bill's. Bill had been known to be obsessive about keeping their cars clean. And he'd recently washed, waxed, and polished the Toyota that Sheila drove, leaving the strange fingerprint very easy to find. After questioning co-workers, a man who worked with Sheila was identified as a possible suspect. There were rumors that his marriage had collapsed, and he had an ugly rap sheet that showed many previous arrests and charges, Mm. one for sexual assault. Mm -mm. The man was questioned, but his fingerprint did not match the fingerprint on the door handle. What ended up cracking the case was a neighbor of the Doyles who saw something that night. Young Kevin Doyle, who was friends with the neighbor's son, shared the terrible news with his friend and his friend's father. A flicker of memory crossed the father's mind. He described a car that had been there that night, parked Kitty Corner from the Doyle house. He'd watched two men run across the street into the driveway and noticed another man in the driver's seat of the car. He'd heard a scream, then a bang, which sounded like a firecracker. And then the two figures running back to the car. The car then drove down the street, turned the corner out of the subdivision. He thought it must have been somebody blowing off a firecracker and some young people just goofing around. Right, being it's the 3rd and 4th of July. It was at that point the 4th of July. Right. That wasn't the case. Three men, Antoine Tyler, 21, Gregory Jackson, 19, and Marcos Gray, 16, followed Sheila home that night from Little Company to her garage in Palos Park. Tyler ran up on her before she got out of the car and opened her door. Upon a brief confrontation with Sheila that was led by Tyler, she started screaming at the two men, which must have panicked him. Tyler forced Sheila into the trunk of the car Mm. and to stop her from screaming, shot her once in the head. Good God. The horrible and heartless act had been done. Her car keys were found under her body. Gray's hands were bloodied possibly from him searching unsuccessfully for the keys, but we will never know. Gray, who was most likely panicking and according to his later testimony, intoxicated on alcohol, took his bloody hand and closed the trunk, locking it. Any chance of stealing the car was gone and this ill-conceived auto theft had suddenly turned to a pointless, cold-blooded murder. The men fled the scene in Jackson's car. How old were these guys? 21, 19, and
1: 16. Oh, gosh. Throwing away their lives. Just throwing away their lives. (sighs) One moment of stupidity and greed
0: changed all these lives forever. So a month later, the fingerprint left on the door popped up in the system with a positive match.
3: It was a very difficult case, and that's why we look for every clue possible. Two males running southbound on Sheila Doyle Street towards a vehicle that was waiting down the block. No positive description of the offenders other than two males, one taller than the other. So of no real help as far as identifying a suspect.
0: Two-year-old Antoine Tyler had been arrested for another murder in Evergreen Park. After some initial misdirection to the police by Tyler about the night of the Doyle killing, the police closed in on him as well as Gray and Jackson. Mm. According to Tyler, they wanted the hood of Sheila's Toyota Camry. Tyler had accidentally shot through Jackson's mother's car hood, and he promised Jackson that he would get another one. They saw Sheila and at a stoplight on 95th Street as she was driving home that night. So random. The three men were convicted of first-degree murder and attempted armed robbery of Sheila Doyle. Tyler is currently serving a life sentence at Pontiac Prison in downstate Illinois for his role in this senseless crime.
1: As it should be.
0: Marcos Gray was a juvenile at the time, but was charged as an adult. He served his sentence until this past year, when he was paroled. Jackson's conviction was later overturned as he convinced a jury that he was not a willing participant in the murder. The Doyle family was heartbroken and enraged. They had come to court for every moment of the case being tried and the sentences being given out. The one that was overturned was the 16-year-old? No, he's actually the 19-year-old who was driving the car. And he claimed that he had no role in planning or committing the murder That he was along for an auto theft, but that he had no idea there was any possibility of a murder being committed.
1: That's certainly as possible as it is not possible.
0: Who knows? Right. You know, at first I couldn't figure out the reason for the murder. And I've wondered all these years, frankly. It was just so pointless. But understanding now that they couldn't have stolen the car once the keys were locked away in the trunk, and that they were panicking because Sheila was screaming, and that they ran from the scene of the crime just hoping to get away with it. But they took the life of an innocent, loving wife and mother and sister for something stupid and needless. And the most important point, I think, displaying a horrible callousness towards her life. And as far as analyzing the crime, it's pretty straightforward in a way. But here's some thoughts if you'd like to hear them, Katie. Mm -hmm. Yes, please. I think what this crime shows is a result of people developing the capacity for dehumanizing other human beings. Sheila didn't matter to them. She was one of them, possibly, the other. That's just what I think. And I'm afraid to admit, but this is not an unusual dynamic in the Chicago area, having one of the most racially segregated cities kind of in the world. This is true. But with just a few miles separating the magical, mostly white, and safe village of Palos Park and also some of the mostly forgotten and mostly black neighborhoods of the inner city of Chicago, that line is drawn, and it seems like their worlds apart, but they're not. Sometimes that line can be easily crossed. And those on one side forget that the people on the other side are just like them, human beings. Taking from the privileged other, and I'm using air quotes, may be twisted to somehow be okay. They're not human beings anymore. They're not like them. But putting social dynamics and human psychology aside, at least kind of what I'm speculating about, at the end of the day, this was just a callous act by an unfeeling, violent, and emotionally cold young man. Tyler had killed another person just a month later and used the same weapon that he used on Sheila. This was just a badly planned and impulsive attempt to steal her car. They could have done it in so many other ways that would have not have endangered her life. Why would they bring a loaded weapon with them? Yes. And why would they do this in such a way where it, was, it would easily go
1: wrong? And what were they doing that they shot a hole through the, the car that belonged to his mother just playing around, showing off? Oops. That was the story that Tyler told police. Yeah. And they could have found
0: the $400 it would have taken just to get a new hood. It's almost in my mind that Tyler wanted the confrontation, maybe unconsciously, maybe wanted to show that he wasn't afraid to go there where the privileged others lived and to take what he wanted. That's just a theory. So regardless, an innocent and loving person was cruelly taken from her family. She can never be replaced and the wounds of that loss will never completely heal for the Doyle family and for Palace Park.
2: Sometimes I lay under the moon I thank God I'm breathing, and then I pray don't
0: take me soon, cause I am here for a reason. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday it'll all turn around because all my life I've been waiting for, praying for. For the people to say that we don't want to fight no more. There'll be no more wars and the children will play.
2: One day, one day, one day. One day, one day, one day. Race Gonzalez spent years looking for a way to help her daughter process her father's violent murder. Eventually finding Camp Sheila Founded by Kevin Doyle and his family. I remember when this happened to me. In 1993, Kevin's mother, Sheila Doyle, was found murdered in her Palos Park garage. I remember walking through the hallways of Carl Sandburg High School, and literally, the first day that I went to school, it was like, hey, hey, there's the kid whose mom was murdered.
1: That feeling of helplessness and isolation prompted his family to start Camp Sheila in honor of their mother to give much needed support and direction to other children of murder victims, understanding that's often difficult
2: to find. When you don't talk about it, it turns into things like violence. It turns into things like drugs. It turns into things like alcohol and bad grades and all the things that you don't it, that's not how life was supposed to be.
1: Grace and Sophia say being around people who've also suffered the same tragedies has made all the difference
2: in their lives. Automatically, you have a, like a connection with them because
3: you've both felt that like deep like pain. It's not something that defines who I am, and it's more something that happened, but it, I'm going to grow from it, and I'm continuing to grow with the help of Camp Sheila. <laughs>
0: So a lot of things struck me about this one. Obviously, it's a connection from my past and my childhood home. Nothing bad happened in Palace Park. It was such a beautiful place to live. It was so quiet and so safe and so fun. There was a little tiny kind of brook that ran from God knows where in the woods down to the creek. Could you hear it from your windows and stuff? When you oh, were? I could hear the creek every night. Oh, my gosh. And that was our playground. Picking apples from the apple tree in the backyard. And my grandmother, who moved in with us in 1970, making apple pie and applesauce. And it was just, you know, as you say, idyllic. Sheila and I were both Canadian-born. So for those who don't know, I'm actually a Canadian-American. Shout out to my uh, Canadian family, Shane, Keith, and everybody else. Oh, Canada. She was adopted from Canada to Chicago through Catholic Charities, just like I was, Mm -hmm. and my three older sibs, Tim, Dennis, and Sheila. And that was kind of cool to find that out. And I didn't know that at the time. I only knew that from researching this story. We went to Holy Sepulchre Cemetery. It's a big Catholic cemetery out there in the southwest suburbs to visit Sheila's grave. It's actually a really beautiful day when we were out there. And we have a picture of a big tree that stands just a few feet from her final resting place. We both were very moved and touched to be there and to pay our respects to her. And that wasn't my first time at Holy Sepulchre, and it won't be my last. All of my family are buried there grandparents great grandmother sister and parents it's a big day for you as well as many friends and friends of our family and two classmates that i went to high school with who passed away when i was we were actually in high school so that was a very emotional day yes you're right and last but not least the plush horse <laughs> the plush horse is so iconic out in the south southwest suburban area in Palos. There were times when we were young. We're literally on a nice summer night. You couldn't get in the door. You'd be waiting in line for ice cream. This place was so cool and One of the only businesses in Payless Park. And it was an old farmhouse that had been made into a store. And it was taken over, I think, in the 30s by a, a lady named Sophie Itzel. She created... The Plush Horse Ice Cream Parlor.
2: the best because a lot of you wrote in, got on our site, went to Facebook and said you've got to go to the Plush Horse in Palos Park. This place has been around since 1937 as an ice cream shop, so they must be doing something right. A lot of history in this building. I'll tell you what, Banana Split's gonna be history. The plush horse has been a staple in the southwest burbs for a long time. It's that spot you go to as a kid, and then you end up bringing your kids when you get older, and it's all because of their homemade ice cream and massive selection. Everybody who lives in the south suburbs knows about this place, but not so many people in the city. Why is this one of the best, if not the best, ice cream shops and parlors in the Chicago area? It's
1: homemade, and a lot of the places, ice cream stores, um, our franchise, you know, they have their ice cream made in warehouses and this and that. We have all
2: unique flavors. We'll try anything, pretty much. She ain't kidding. At Plush Horse, they have over 40 flavors to choose from. They really are plush, which is awesome news for me and bad news for my pants. The
1: Plush Horse, located at one two three zero one. 86th Avenue in Palos Park, Illinois, the Southwest suburb. You can get there by driving or flying or dropping out of a higher air balloon. Call them
0: 708-448-0550. So... Now, Kristen Doyle stated in her victim impact statement, and this is from the Tribune in court, whenever my mom and I went out, we always went to the plush horse for my mom's morning coffee, and we would get a blueberry muffin. Mm. The plush horse is a wonderful memory for me, and a wonderful yet painful memory for Kristen Doyle, which I'm sad to say.
1: If I should stay I would only be in your way So I go But I know I'll think of you every step of the way i Sweet Jen, you may be asking yourself at this moment, where would one find the Chicago Murderland podcast? You know, I don't know how you knew that, Katie,
0: but I am (laughs) asking myself that right now. Let me hear you ask yourself. I'm asking myself, self. Where in the world can we find Chicago Murderland Podcast? You've got
1: questions and i got answers. You can find us at our website, which is chicagomurderlandpod.com. You can also find us on Facebook by searching Chicago Murderland Podcast. Or if you want to, you can email us, Chicago Pod at gmail.com. Then there's also that um, illustrious rate and review at Apple apple podcast i don't know if it's a fiji apple or a gala (laughs) apple i don't do apple but you might do apple and so first off i think it's important that you go to apple and you rate and review us give us four stars please
0: yeah maybe even 4.25 seven
1: silver or gold stars uh gold
0: always
1: fudge yeah i want gold stars way more valuable I want fudgy stars, <laughs> fudgy uh, gold stars. Is there such a thing? Please no. do that. We need you. We need you to do that. And here's why. Murder Neighborhoodies, we love you. And when I say love, I mean love. And when I say you, I mean you and you and you and you and you and, you. and even you. That one who's over there going, she doesn't really. Yes. All is. Alias. Yes. We love Alias. Yes. But most especially my southwest side gen. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. South. And back at you, love
0: you, Northside Katie. I love you more. I doubt that, but okay. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs>